So today we are talking about parasocial relationships. Oh my God. Did you know that I worked in a lab in undergrad studying parasocial relationships in children and how it affected their learning? Uh, Absolutely not. And that's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) I like barely remember my time there, but it was this developmental psychology lab that I had done back when I, like every other white girl at college, thought for a brief moment I might major in psychology. (laughs) That is a thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. But that's so that's so interesting. And you don't remember anything you learned there? Or? I mean, I remember basically doing the grunt work for a lot of these studies because so much of it is making sure that the flashcards that you bring to the kiddo's house are randomized every time so that there's no order bias in them seeing a grape on a flashcard first. Whatever. There's a lot of like random technicalities that you have to Mm. accommodate. That's more of the stuff that I did in terms of what we were actually studying. It was like, can parasocial relationships facilitate or expedite learning in young kids so is having a relationship with dora something that might help you Mm. learn math faster or is thinking elmo's your friend going to make you listen to him more than to a teacher in such a way that you learn your colors sooner than you otherwise would things like that it was basically like that's so cool yeah because i think there's a lot of conversation right now around how digital input for kids can be so damaging and i think this was sort of trying to understand like can we harness it if this is a trend in the industry can we harness it for good absolutely that's so fascinating also i love like your jobs really have run the gamut ice cream queen (laughs) to parasocial relationships and kids customer service at a tampon company (laughs) you name it i've possibly done it (laughs) the girl boss to end all girl bosses yeah oh god (laughs) what will 2023 have in store so besides your experience with the kiddos what comes to mind when you hear the term parasocial relationship I think of it as a uniquely one-way relationship where I, for example, feel like I have such a nuanced, historied relationship with Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. We go way back. Bestie. Yeah, she, for all intents and purposes, might as well have been crying on my bedroom floor with me when my crush didn't like me back in the seventh grade. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what it felt like reading all of her magazine interviews and watching her music videos and listening to and parsing out her lyrics with my friends and going to her shows. I have such an attachment to her. I mean, you and I both saw her speak at the 2022 graduation at NYU. And the minute she stepped out, I felt myself get teary eyed viscerally. Yeah. And she has no idea I exist. Mm -hmm. And so I think of it as something where she has the power for me to not just provoke interesting conversation between you and me about capitalism and marketing and sexuality and responsibility for I don't know political engagement if any as a celebrity and we talk about all of this stuff and I, I I dissect her lyrics and she has literally no idea who I am mm-hmm. and so it's it's a power that is so 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 one-sided and I could still want to buy the same shirt as her I want to listen to the same music as her I want to watch everything she ever creates it's like mm-hmm. a weird amount of influence for it being so one way yeah so that's what I think of when I think of parasocial relationships you think of Taylor (laughs) yeah or like even when I was in high school like I was obsessed with this influencer Zoella and I genuinely thought if she only met me 
we would be best friends. Yeah, I feel like that can also happen with like celebrity crushes Mm -hmm. of feeling like if I only met so-and-so, they would instantly fall in love with me Mm -hmm. and it would totally work. Totally. Oh my God. Like, yeah, this is so embarrassing, like beyond, but I had a big crush growing up on Justin Bieber and it was too much to be honest with you it was too much but one of my friends did get me a pillow that said future Mrs. Bieber oh my god I had that on my bed for probably like three years it was honestly I I could take it as a joke too like obviously I wasn't I wasn't that level of a stan or a crush but it was one of those things where I, I think that pillow can be made and sold because there are a lot of people who literally think like if I only met Justin yeah I totally would be the future Mrs. Bieber yeah And we'll get to Bieber later because I think celebrity crushes adds to so much hate to whoever they actually end up with. Mm. If they end up with one person. Yeah. The death threats and the hating on people because they are dating or got married or whatever to the person that you have a crush on. Like, hello, you don't know this human. At all. (laughs) I know. But especially when you're in like middle school and high school, when you're like in puberty, crushes are painful. They're like devastating. Devastating. They hurt. So much. It's so overwhelming. Yeah. So I can, I know where that like energy comes from, but it can, you know, it can be misdirected. And I think the internet, like the internet can facilitate a digital mob mentality that wouldn't happen otherwise where yeah, in a school, maybe there are one or two of you who are that into Justin Bieber, let's say, mm-hmm. but not enough for there to be a big group of them. Whereas if you just quickly log on to Tumblr, suddenly all of you are there in one space and you're able to maybe without even noticing sort of ratchet up the intensity, mm-hmm. at least for me, like growing up with internet crushes or like being part of different fandoms. That is really where those like crushes flourished. Yeah. Tumblr and like online well because also think of like in your school if there was someone that you had a crush on at least at my school people weren't going around like verbally abusing whoever they were dating or trying to find out everything about them and and like follow them around or whatever like even the idea of being a follower gives like stalker energy (laughs) literally people (laughs) like i yeah people will chase celebrities down the street like scream and run after them i mean the videos of one direction when they were brand new yeah crowds of people sprint after them that as you're saying wouldn't happen at a school do you imagine like chasing a girl down the the hallway at your school being like i love you no no that's a little wild (laughs) no i i yeah but because there's it's too close for comfort i feel like and like so Right. There's probably going to be fewer of you in the crowd chasing. So it's more embarrassing if it's just you out here alone chasing someone. And there's less anonymity there to protect you. Totally. Exactly. So let's get the definition of parasocial relationships. Like you said, they're one-sided and one person is extending the emotional energy, interest, time, and the other party, like the persona, is completely unaware of their existence. And parasocial relationships are most common with celebrities, athletes, gamers, influencers, and even organizations like a sports team Mm. having like a love for a team. And it can also be with fictional characters, you know, your favorite TV show character, like I love Lorelai Gilmore, Emily Gilmore. Emily Gilmore. I'm obsessed with Emily Gilmore. (laughs) 
No, Emily Gilmore she's a queen. Is a queen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's not a real person. Right. And neither is Dora. Neither is Dora. <laughs> <laughs> Do you imagine if I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So parasocial relationships. The term was coined in 1956 by two sociologists, Donald Horton and R. Richard Wool. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's W-O-H-L. So I'm going with Wool. In what year? 1956. That's a long time ago. Yeah. So it was, they were using it as a way to describe how people who were consuming mass media were acting like they had normal relationships with media figures and... This type of relationship, though, really has existed far longer than radio and TV. Like, if you think about political figures Mm -hmm. or even, like, gods and spirits, you have that one-sided thing going on. But now that mass media is such a big part of people's lives, I feel like we talk about parasocial relationships more. Yeah. Or it comes up more. Especially because media allows so much contact Mm -hmm. and experiences with visible people. Since we're, like, seeing their faces all the time... And hearing them speak and move, it gives the impression that we're having a face-to-face experience with them right? when right. we're not. It's less like a fireside chat on the radio once a week and more like what they eat in a day every day. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm praying to a god, but I'm looking at their face. And since we're human beings, even though it's through a screen, we still interpret that as you could just be in my living room. Yeah. But now with the fact that we have so many different social media platforms where celebrities can share so much of their intimate lives and also like reality tv shows that are allegedly unscripted we're just like watching day to day we're watching your intimate relationships we're watching you talk to your friends going out to lunch like being kind of a fly on the wall Mm -hmm. and so it adds even more fodder to the parasocial relationship where you are getting so much more information than if it was just oh i i watch a movie with angelina jolie in it and right I think she's beautiful and therefore I'm interested in her life, but I don't get much more than that. Right. Or like maybe a magazine has a write up with like her favorite ice cream. Yeah. And the book she read most recently. And like that's it. Mm-hmm. Whereas as you're saying now, it's it's a lot more. Yeah. And also the internet allows you to have 24-7 access to celebrities. So like even though they're one-sided relationships – social media allows you for more interaction like you could comment on a picture or you could tweet at someone and even though it's like likely that they won't respond there's like a perceived interaction there where there's some form of reaching them you know yeah or like dming someone on instagram yeah and even more so with things like twitch or instagram live where you could be commenting in real time and it's getting to them in real time and they might be like oh susan four five seven yeah uh your question or whatever and feeling like oh my god we're having a conversation when like they still can't see you it's still one-sided but we've created a pathway yeah to access certain people now and even though parasocial relationships are one-sided it doesn't mean that they don't take maintenance like you still Mm. you still need to keep up right so you're like going to concerts you're or listening to the music the second it drops you're Uh, uh, watching the newest episode of the kardashians to make sure you know what's going on you're following them on instagram so it's like your regular relationships where you you're keeping up with your friends and you're up to date with what's going on in their life you have to also do that for your parasocial relationships 
even though you're the only one in the relationship doing that. Like they, they're not keeping right. up with your life, but you're like, oh, well, I know what vacation they were recently on. And so it still takes energy. Yeah. Which I hadn't really thought of before researching for this episode of like, oh, yeah, it's one sided. So it's really not consuming. But it does take a lot of energy to keep up with people. It does. And also, I know you're not on TikTok and I am. But with this recent album release of Taylor's and then her announcement of her era's tour, which was a bit of a logistical nightmare. The conversation reached such a fever pitch about how to get tickets in the best possible way and what is Taylor thinking as Ticketmaster does why and all of this stuff and when is the next remix of Antihero coming out or who got the Lavender Target exclusive CD. Like all of all of these conversations were happening in such a public forum that I think it 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 reached such an overwhelming fever pitch where I think it drove people to be even more engaged and put in even more maintenance and effort Mm -hmm. into this one-sided parasocial relationship than they ever otherwise would have without social media. Yeah, I I don't know if I can think of another person that leans into the parasocial relationship as much as Taylor Swift does. I think her since her music and her lyrics feel so personal and people dissect it for Mm. years and have theories about everything and all the Easter eggs and stuff. Like, I feel like that's where she gives people an insight into her life. Yeah. But the, her like listening parties that she has at her house with like super fans and stuff like that. Like that's kind of wild, like inviting strangers into your home to, to listen to your music. And the fact that people CDs are are kind of obsolete. Yeah. And people will still be like, I need to buy the Taylor Swift CD in physical form because I need to support Taylor Swift. And even though I don't have a CD player, I need to buy this thing. Like, I I feel like in all of the different ways that you can capitalize on the parasocial relationship, I feel like she's really on top of it. She is really, really on top of it. Yeah. She is nothing if not a savvy capitalist queen. Yeah. Uh, completely a savvy capitalist queen and we love her for it yeah we love her in spite of it i think is what it is um yeah and i think that i think in general there's kind of a stigma when we talk about parasocial relationships that it means that you're lonely or you have like social anxieties or something but we all engage in parasocial relationships Mm -hmm. and actually studies have found that there really isn't a link between loneliness and having parasocial relationships and that a lot of times it actually can broaden your social network more than restrict it and I think especially right now we're kind of in a in a like relatability era (laughs) with celebrities where the more intimate details they reveal the better they perform yeah on social media and if you post your family, your bedroom, your breakfast, like your messy hair, the more you do that, it mimics the intimacy that you would have in a reciprocal relationship right. because it feels like you're getting a more like more insight into their personal life. And like pre-social media celebrities were much more untouchable and there was like a mystique about their yeah. glamorous lives. And now we kind of want right. the opposite. We want to feel like they're just like us and i do think maybe eventually the pendulum will swing again and will want more mystery or something because i think also a lot of the parasocial relationship is projection 
you know, you project yeah. an identity onto somebody. So the more that they reveal, the more opportunity you're giving for someone to dislike you. Yeah. Because you're like extending the the surface area of things that people could disagree with. So yes. if I'm projecting everything onto you, if I'm like, oh, they must love vanilla ice cream like I do. And then they tell you that their favorite flavor is chocolate. Then you're like, oh, okay. Mm. that's weird Mm -hmm. and then like the like everything that they reveal the more they actually show you who they are the more possibility it is for you to be like oh i don't actually fuck with you yeah no that's sort of like um this is a wild analogy but it's sort of like when you're first like kind of falling in like with someone Mm -hmm. and you only know such a small fraction of who they are and you know you have a chemistry and a rapport and yeah it's giddy and it's fun and so your brain has filled in all of the gaps with like, totally. well, the rest of everything about this person must also similarly agree with me and be also giddy and fun. Yes. And then the more you get to know them, I mean, either it works out well and it stays true or it really, really doesn't. I remember I was like sort of in like with someone in high school and we were driving to his dad's house and I just remember he was really into lifting and like going to the gym and this was my shatter the illusion ick moment we're in the car and he told me he literally looked over at me and he was like i think i found a way to like eat more meat in a day and i was like what Ew. what are you talking about he's like i need to eat more protein so i can lift more and i was just sitting there looking at this man like something about you saying you need to eat like three times the meat you're already eating like it just couldn't turn me off more and i was oh like, my god oh, this is it i realized Everything I had assumed about this person, like I had projected and made up and like assumed or hoped to be true. But it was my mind filling in the gaps based on very limited knowledge of this person. If you're in ketosis, I can't be in a relationship with you. No, (laughs) no. If you're in ketosis, we're not friends. Um, Yeah. So, for example, like if a celebrity that you're following starts telling you, you know, I figured out how to get two more chicken breasts in. (laughs) On a daily like, basis. Wait a second. <laughs> wait. Like, do I? No. I don't know. And the more you share, the more people expect you to share. So it's very yeah. difficult to pull back yeah. after you've kind of started doing that. Yeah. And it's honestly like really shitty to think that you have to exchange personal details in order to get success yeah. in media. That sucks as a trade. Yeah. I'll give you access to my personal life, stranger. Mm-hmm. Then can I make money and, and do the art that I want to make or whatever? Like, that that's not cool. But let's talk about the good stuff about the parasocial relationship. And then we'll go back to the bad stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, but some good things. Okay, first of all, basically everyone is in some sort of parasocial relationship. And for the most part, there's like no harm. And then it's almost like a like an upside down triangle. Okay, (laughs) like the top bracket being the biggest one of it's totally fine. And then there's like smaller, smaller groups of people that take it to scary levels. Yeah. But for the most part, parasocial relationships are great because there's no sense of rejection. True. Which is fun. No one likes to be rejected. Love. (laughs) And there's like the relief from the complications of a complimentary relationship you don't actually have to hear about anybody's problems you don't actually have to do anything for anyone you just get to take and so since hopefully people have nice healthy relationships in their lives where they're giving and taking this is like a moment where you get to just be like yeah i'm just gonna absorb it's a reprieve and studies have shown that you know they're for the most part fully voluntary Mm -hmm. they provide companionship 
and that people are like really grateful for them. And yeah, I, I think we hear a lot too of like celebrities talking about, Oh, I hear all the time that like I helped someone through a hard time or something like that. Like maybe what you were saying of like Taylor Swift lyrics and stuff like that. Yeah. I totally feel that. Like if I'm having a bad day and I'm like, I just want to throw on an episode of friends and hang out with Monica and Chandler who don't exist. And I can do that and that they can provide that yeah, for me. A hundred percent. And I don't have to do anything. I can just like live in that world and, like, if we didn't want to live in those worlds, like, TV and movies wouldn't fucking exist. Literally. Know? Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Or I'm like, I just want to hear Trixie and Katya talk shit. That's what Need I want. to hear Trixie and Katya talk shit. <laughs> exactly. Um, or listen to a podcast. And that's, like, it's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting you. It's actually probably helping you because it's, like, a nice reprieve. And you get all the benefits of a regular, like, complimentary relationship because... Like, it's actually a very, like, psychologically healthy action because yeah. as people, we are, we're, like, programmed to build social connections. So right. when we hear someone or we see someone on TV, the, like, psychologically healthy thing is to try to build some sort of bond. Right. That's what our psyche is built to do. Uh, so it would be, like, more in the very literal sense of the term antisocial if, like, being presented with a person. Yes. And their sort of visual and audible inputs we were like immediately rejecting that and yes. not wanting a relationship with that that would be almost more indicative of something exactly going on. and our bodies process that perceived intimacy the same like when you right. for example like when you watch a horror movie you famously don't like them yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> famously <laughs> famously to me um, right <laughs> you know objectively that you're not in danger that what's happening is on the screen and yet your body is reacting like you are you get scared because your body isn't processing it as two different things it's like when people put their like hand in your face and they're like i'm not touching you i'm not touching you but you can almost feel it you're like yeah but you're you're doing all of the things that signal to my brain that i'm about to be touched so i my physiological response is still one of like engaging with that idea the neurons firing in my brain are still doing what they would do if you were about to touch me you just happen not to be right now exactly so it is like a psychologically healthy thing that we when we see people on tv that we create a bond with them yeah and that we empathize with them and that we connect with them and honestly in our own personal lives like we can also have perceived intimacy with someone like we think we're closer than we are or we think we know them when we don't like so true that happens in our in our regular life anyway and the power that people can have to like inspire you or reassure you or motivate you that's a wonderful thing like you know when like oprah and ellen were on tv like people coming home from work and and looking forward to sitting down catching up with their friend and that's like their reprieve for the afternoon like that's a wonderful thing and there's nothing wrong with that you know yeah and like i for example follow someone on tiktok and youtube named molly burke she's been a youtuber and generally like social media influencer for a while now and she's sort of in like the fashion beauty lifestyle space and she's blind she has retinitis pigmentosa so she like gradually went blind throughout her childhood and i feel like she's one of those people i guess now that maybe i have a strong parasocial relationship with and similar to coming home and watching ellen it feels like a nice sigh of relief to come home and sit and like watch one of molly's youtube videos Mm -hmm. and at the same time i am 
maybe sort of like children in a developmental psychology lab learning two plus two equals four from Dora. I'm also now being exposed to something or learning something from this person I almost consider a friend Mm -hmm. because she teaches me a lot and the rest of her audience a lot about the medical versus social models of disability and access issues and disability discrimination and disability laws. And that to me has been really meaningful. And maybe I wouldn't have learned that much about this topic if I didn't feel such a kinship with this creator totally exactly that's why like you know when you're in school and you have a teacher that you really like and so then you listen more yeah oh my god that's so true i think it's just natural you know that you when you vibe with someone you listen more you know you're not you're not putting up a barrier if you hated molly burke be like yeah all right fuck that eyeliner like yeah Because you wouldn't want to listen to someone that you don't like. And even though you've never met her, you can still like her and be inspired by her and be a fan of her and want to listen to her and take what she says seriously. And I think this will lead us now back to bad stuff. (laughs) I'm ready. So I guess this is like a good and bad thing that parasocial relationships can have a really big impact on creating your identity i think this is good and bad because ultimately every relationship in your life can impact your identity Mm -hmm. you know when people say like you're the average of like the five people closest to you or whatever oh yeah i think you know all the inputs are programming you in some way but when it comes to a parasocial relationship since it's only one-sided and you're only getting one version of someone having that impact who you are and what you do can maybe get a little bit more it could get dangerous but also just more like be a little more like trepidatious about that yeah yeah totally. letting that kind of sink in and it's difficult because like we said earlier you're still processing that as if it were a normal relationship with someone in your in your personal life and like i said most parasocial relationships are totally fine and fun and now we're going to talk about when it's maybe less fun but similar to the identity thing the whole like idea with social media of you know you're getting one very curated version of someone and we can all say like oh social media is not real until we're blue in the face but we still even if we know it and we know it's a highlight reel Mm -hmm. we still interpret it as this is who they are yep this is their this is their life like it takes a lot of mental effort to try to catch yourself every single time you're consuming something and not think like oh, this is just who they are. They're just always this wonderful and perfect or like so adorably relatable. It requires a lot of practice, actually. Even with me knowing other things at a theoretical level, it's always hard to put that into practice. Absolutely. Because that's that's literally neurology. Like your, your neural pathways are grooved in one way and trying to re-groove them you can almost feel it in your head like it it like hurts you're like it's like uncomfortable yeah especially because a lot of times when we consume stuff on social media it's very mindless like we're not i am critically engaging with instagram you know (laughs) like you're just like i'm I'm doom scrolling you know because that's half the point is like i actually want to turn my brain off right now Mm -hmm. that's why i'm on instagram in the first place yeah so then you just become a little sponge and you're like Woo, let it all in. And so that can obviously have like all the negative repercussions that we already know about of like body dysmorphia or or just feeling inadequate or wanting to spend money you don't have to look like a certain person or have the kind of things that other people have and and feel like my life would be better if Mm -hmm. and all and all of that stuff. And then when you're really passionate about someone 
there can be a lot of disappointment or sadness if their mm-hmm. behavior changes or if they die. Like, like think of yeah. Princess Diana. Like, can we let oh that woman gosh, fucking yeah. rest? Like, there's oh like, like so many movies and TV shows about her and, and people revering her and wanting to know everything about her. And this poor woman's been dead for like 20 something years, you know? Yeah. No, that's such a great example of a global parasocial relationship where mm-hmm. people were so enamored, 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 and clearly to such an egregious fault because the degree to which we wanted access to her is ultimately what killed her. Honestly, beautifully said. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that the first person at the site of the accident I mean, I know the first person at the site of the accident was a paparazzi, but I'm pretty sure, though I need to fact check, I'm pretty sure the first thing they did was take a picture before they tried to help, which sucks. Yeah, that actually reminds me of George Clooney had a really bad car accident once. I listened to this interview on, I believe it was on the podcast Smart List, so you can go listen mm. to it. But he was saying that he was like lying on the road in dire need of medical attention and that all these people ran up to him and just started taking pictures and that he had this moment being like wow i'm really just a product oh like everyone here just wants the shot of george clooney on the road and it's just regular ass people and no one's calling 911 and i hope that i wouldn't do that but i don't know how i would react in a, in a None moment of us. like yeah, that of course and in terms of the disappointment that we can have Like when we really only have one view of someone, any mistake or change on their part can feel like a betrayal Mm -hmm. of the, you know, one dimensional image that we've created. Yeah. And people will loudly and publicly sever their parasocial relationship if a celebrity acts differently or doesn't issue the apology or the accountability that they expected from them. And, you know, you see a lot of like, this isn't the blank that i know you know like oh this God. isn't this isn't the justin bieber i know i'm like well first of all you oh don't know justin bieber so it's not the literally just, like a shot the hell off no justin bieber is the one you know because you've never met the man do you remember when miley cyrus cut her hair into the really short blonde crop yes that is so the refrain that everyone was saying like yeah oh my god this is so not miley like she has gone off the deep end meanwhile she was giving interviews in her dressing room back when she was like 14 and 15 saying as she pointed at pictures of Twiggy, I can't wait to cut my hair like that one day, but I have to wait for the show to end. Because when you are, as you're saying, kind of with George Clooney, a literal product, you don't get to choose your gender expression. Yeah. You have no agency over that when you're playing mm-hmm. Miley Stewart mm-hmm. and Hannah Montana. Mm-hmm. And so for so many people to be like, this isn't the Miley I know. The Miley you know is Miley Stewart. The Miley you know is yeah. a fictional character. Like she's never wanted to be the person that she's presented as. And now she finally has agency over herself and we should all be thrilled. And mm-hmm. instead we're lambasting her. Yeah. She started that show when she was 12 years old. I know. So even even if that was exactly who she was at 12, God, I hope that by 20 you're different. Like, yeah. let, let the woman live. Let her grow. Let her live. You know? Let her live. <laughs> Like, she's not going to be Hannah Montana until she's fucking 75. Like, right. And like, knock on wood, may this comment age well. But something people often say about working with her is that she's incredibly kind and respectful. So yeah, maybe you don't agree with how she expresses her personal style or her gender or the evolution of her music or her sexuality. And yet she is still a good person. And for Mm -hmm. us to be singing 
the be you, be you, there's no one else but you, you're so unique, like you're the only you. For us to be saying that over and over again from the time you're a kid and then being like, but only if it's the kind of you that we want to see exactly. is so hypocritical. Like there are a lot of reasons that I, I, or there are a lot of times that I don't think it's appropriate for someone to say, oh, this person is apparently like really rude. Like Gigi Hadid at a ser- like at a restaurant was not so kind to a server. <laughs> I just think like we literally have no idea what's going on in their life. And to take that one interaction and extrapolate it is ridiculous. Although, of course, please be kind to your servers. But I mean, I think about myself and just like the fall of 2022 was a lot. And if literally anyone that I knew and loved came up to me and was like demanding too much of me, I wouldn't have been necessarily as gracious as I would like to think I always would be Mm -hmm. because I was just so emotionally wrung out and Mm -hmm. there is room to be giving people more grace. And so I I never want to suggest that if they aren't perfectly nice all the time, then like they're bad people. And also back to the point, I guess, about Miley is that for all we know, like everyone is always saying like she's so wonderful to work with and like be around and she does seem kind and caring and generous and all of this stuff and like it is it is weird to think that like even when people are seemingly doing all those things right that we continue to demand and expect of every last celebrity her cutting her hair is too much yeah you know like her licking a hammer in a music video which is objectively not a moral fucking failing is too much we just can't handle it even though she's nice like we have this ever moving goalpost for these celebrities yeah because as you're saying we've decided who they are with such a limited amount of information and the minute that breaks yes the minute something goes against that we can't handle it and so we become these hypocrites because it's just like we've decided who they were without that being true Totally. And like, if you run into Miley Cyrus on the street and she's kind of rude to you, you decide, oh, everything I've ever heard about this person is wrong and she's a rude person. And since you can't really follow up with her, there's no opportunity for her to correct that. While like if I ran into you on the street and you were like a little short with me because you were having a bad day, I can reach out later and be like, hey, everything okay? Like, what was that? You know? Yeah, like, are you good? Or, <laughs> yeah. like, that hurt my feelings. Yeah. Like, chat it through. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, no amount of projection is going to turn a celebrity into a perfect, unproblematic person. They're a human being. Yes, with a lot more privilege, access, and money than we have, but they're just people. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And people are flawed and the like deification of celebrities is I think what like causes so much resentment and betrayal when suddenly they Yes. Like that's uh, such a wonderful How point. dare my how dare my my goddess fuck up? And it's like, well, she's just a person. Yeah, because it feels like they're falling a much greater distance yeah. when you've put them on such an unreasonably high pedestal. Mm-hmm. I think about how I read this book by Jenna Fisher, who plays Pam Beasley in The Office. It's called The Actor's Life or like something like that. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about how when she first moved to Hollywood and she was mostly playing sort of like extras or or one line speaking roles, Mm -hmm. there was this sort of energy amongst actors in the same tier as her who would get that one role on a big set with a big star like Will Ferrell. And then they would be so upset that he didn't smile and shake their hand and say hi to absolutely fucking every crew, mm-hmm. every crew member and every extra on set. And in this book, her point was 
this person, maybe they didn't get eight hours of sleep last night and they were just handed an entirely new monologue that they have 20 minutes to memorize. And this whole $30 million project is riding on them delivering it perfectly in two takes because if they don't, the entire day of production falls behind Mm -hmm. and there's going to be a storm tomorrow so we can't film outside. And Mm -hmm. all of this stuff, like for people to be deciding someone's character in such a split second and truly trivial way is... It's unfair. And maybe they are a total asshole. Yeah. And you know what? They're not your friend. So yeah. who cares? Like, right. Okay, they're a dick. You don't have to hang out with them. Right. <laughs> like, it's it's okay. fine. You went to a meet and greet and you didn't like the interaction. Newsflash. They're not your sister. It's okay. We can move on. Right. <laughs> oh my God. Have you seen the um, Katy Perry documentary? No. Okay. I watched it years and years and years ago and I don't know literally anything about her. <laughs> but you watched a documentary? No, no, no. You like, gotta know something. <laughs> I forget all of it except this one scene where she was crying because I believe her marriage was at the time like mm. falling apart. And she was feeling really, really, really depressed. And like the pressures of tour are already so much. And then to be having to show up and smile and sing and perform in that kind of highly energized, highly photographed way while you're so sad is a lot for a person to do. And I just remember her showing up late to one of the meet and greets because she couldn't stop crying. She was really sad. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that anyone in the movie said anything, but I remember thinking that's a type of transgression so to speak that people would weaponize to say Katy Perry doesn't respect her fans like she showed up late to this meet and greet and I paid this many yeah and yeah of course that's disappointing if you paid to be able to go to this meet and greet and she showed up late and you didn't get the amount of time with her that you expected but at the same time like we really don't know what's going on behind the scenes I mean yes in this case now we do because she had a film crew with her Mm -hmm. but it is true that maybe Maybe Will Ferrell didn't shake your hand on set that day because, like, his marriage was falling apart. And, like, you you just don't know. We also have, like, a negativity bias. It's so much more likely that you'll write a Yelp review if you had a shitty restaurant experience than if you had a wonderful one. Yeah. So I feel like we tend to also get more upset about a negative thing than get happier about a positive thing. Anyway, the... Next kind of level that I want to talk about, if we're going down our little pyramid, oh, yeah. is like stan culture. When, you know, we get a little more obsessive yeah. about people. <laughs> and actually one, I think, interesting thing that I had never really considered is um, another another episode of Smartless. <laughs> Plug. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> um, when they had Billie Eilish and Phineas on. Mm. And Phineas was talking about how the most stressful part of Billy's career hasn't been when she's has a hundred million followers on Instagram and is like the most famous person. It was when she was really famous to a smaller group of people. And so they had more like access to her. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have a small group of people that are huge fans and it's more likely that if they DM you, you'll respond and that kind of strengthening the parasocial relationship but you're not so famous that you make enough money to have security oh yeah and so he was saying that like the scariest part was when she was less famous and couldn't afford a bodyguard and i was like wow i had never thought about that wild to think about also on the other side of the parasocial relationship spending a lot of energy following a person invading their privacy, mm-hmm. wanting them to act the way that you want them to, which is completely out of your control. Like, that's not a healthy place to put your energy. 
And stands are basically ultra fans yeah. <laughs> that will kind of do anything to prove their loyalty and to support a celebrity. I mean, it literally comes from the Eminem song, Stan. That's where that comes from? Yeah. And it's a combo of stalker and fan. Oh, wow. That makes so much sense. I was going to say, I thought it was kind of coming from like, I stand for everything they do and I'm a fan, but stalker and fan <laughs> makes a lot more sense. <laughs> that's that's a more <laughs> wholesome <laughs> interpretation. Yeah. Because I thought I thought about it and I was like, stands find themselves explaining away almost any flaw in their favorite celebrity. Like yeah. Taylor Swift could start kicking puppies and they'd be like, well, let me explain. This is why it's good. <laughs> You'd be like, okay. We have a puppy overpopulation. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And I think the, the word is like used so much now that we say it more casually. And I don't think people identify as stalker fans. Yeah. Like you'd be like, oh, I totally stand so-and-so. Yeah. We, we said – in season one that we're a bee stan podcast and oh i will explain the bees yeah (laughs) i will explain away any fault you could possibly find with them i will fight you (laughs) yeah but yeah that's true people say it without like necessarily being stalkers yes (laughs) without necessarily being stalkers yes but there is even if you wouldn't say about yourself that you're a stalker there is a sense of coming to someone's defense for anything even if you only know one very small sliver of a story and coming up with theories that a couple is a publicity stunt or they never really got over their ex or you're actually not friends with so-and-so and it's like how in the fuck would you know yeah but it's it's I think a lot of what drives that is cognitive dissonance that is so uncomfortable you need to resolve it in some way and so you just find yourself not consciously but ultimately explaining this situation in however makes the most sense for you or most quickly resolves that discomfort because when you are so bought into someone and so much of your identity and your leisure time and your disposable income goes into supporting and loving this person having anything Mm -hmm. contradict that love is so profoundly uncomfortable that it's at some point it takes fewer cognitive resources to just explain away why that negative thing happened and find some sort of roundabout justification for it yeah but i think if you're if you're doing that in like your personal life okay fine Mm -hmm. but the fact that selena gomez fans still attack Haley bieber and send her so much hate all the time for marrying justin is so beyond my i have never in my life written or felt compelled to write a negative thing to anyone that i've never met like a youtube Mm -hmm. comment anything like the fact that this woman has to keep fielding strangers telling her that her husband doesn't actually love her that he's supposed to be with someone else and all three of them are people that they don't know is beyond me or like when olivia rodrigo put out driver's license and all these people who had like never even heard of her and then listened to the song once and then started to acting sabrina carpenter and joshua bassett about fucking up her relationship i'm like you didn't even know this well first of all you still don't know this person but you heard of them today right like why are you so up in arms right or even the taylor swift attacking fans attacking jake gyllenhaal yeah we literally we have one song yeah and yes we can all assume who it's about 
but we have no no actual proof and also we don't know what happened this is only one very visible person's interpretation of this in a musical artistic fashion and to spend your energy attacking this grown man because of a song is just like really right really that's that's what you're gonna do today right and (laughs) it can definitely help you understand maybe Taylor Swift better through her lyrics or in a less parasocial way. Maybe you are someone who has in your life a loved one that's in an age difference or power difference relationship yeah, that ended or is still going and it's complicated and maybe it helps you better understand that situation. Yeah. But to take these lyrics or this music video and use it to try and bring down someone that you know otherwise nothing about is next level like that is next level yeah and that's and that's what we're talking about like in the in the good side of parasocial relationships okay you listen to all too well and maybe it helps you cope with your feelings about someone or you feel like oh my god that's exactly how i feel or exactly how my friend feels and that can give you that reassurance and that is Mm -hmm. totally healthy and wonderful and why we love music and why we love Mm -hmm. tv and stuff but It should be like, oh, I take from this to interpret my life or to connect with my life, not I take from this and now I'm inspecting your life. Yeah, it's supposed to is exactly as you said, it's supposed to broaden your understanding and not narrow it, not make you pigeonhole people. It's supposed to make you see more dimensionality in the world or hopefully it will. Yeah. And so when I was thinking about this topic and of the Hailey Bieber's and the Olivia Rodrigo's and and people who have experienced a lot of online hate, I came across a couple examples a little bit more detailed that I hadn't heard of. Have you watched any of the Harry Potter movies? Yeah, I've watched and read them all. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of stands. (laughs) Um, Ivana... Ivana Lynch, who played Luna Lovegood, I was reading an article where she was talking about as a teenager, having fans messaging her and threatening to harm themselves if she didn't respond. Or there was this one guy who would send her super long Facebook messages telling her about his life and then get furious at her for not replying. And she's a little literal kid being like, oh, my God, my fans are going to hurt themselves because I don't have the time or energy or interest in connecting. That idea of like the flipping the switch, like the guy who sends her messages, like telling her about his life or whatever. And then if she doesn't answer, gets so angry. I was like, it feels like when a guy hits at you at a bar and you're like, I'm not interested. And they're like, all right, whatever, bitch, you weren't even hot. And you're like, weren't you just trying to hook up? Literally. Like, no, it's it's that entitlement that we do see in person, but it becomes amplified in this parasocial context because Luna Lovegood or Ivana Lynch, you said? Yeah. Is not just fielding it from this one person. She might be fielding it from many people. Mm -hmm. Because I have had friends in extremely toxic relationships where entitled cis straight men would literally, and I know everyone can be toxic, literally regardless of your identity. But in my experience, these toxic people felt entitled to the emotional labor and time and energy and love of someone who no longer felt the relationship was working. And so... Because they were worried now that this person would leave, they would say, I am going to kill myself if you leave. Mm. And that is extremely emotionally manipulative Mm -hmm. and not okay. But in this non-parasocial but just one-to-one context, you're fielding that from one person. And it's still incredibly traumatic Mm -hmm. to think 
even though it's never, never your fault. Like you are not responsible. If you are, if you need to exit that relationship because it's toxic for you, them making those threats does not mean Mm -hmm. you are responsible for any harm that they do to themselves. But that's already so traumatic. And it's already hard to talk yourself out of that. And so the idea of this kid playing a character Mm -hmm. now fielding it from so many different people at once. I mean, yeah. And in the example that you're giving of if this was happening to you in a personal relationship, you're saying, you know, if you need to exit that relationship, exit that relationship. Ivana can't really exit the relationship because she's still a public figure and she didn't enter the relationship with that individual person anyway. So right. She didn't choose to enter that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're kind of trapped. Yeah. In that. And like we were saying earlier with like the good stuff about parasocial relationships of feeling like, oh, there's no sense of rejection because it's one sided because you are existing in a world that feels like there's no rejection. If you actually engage online or meet them and they don't live up to your incredibly high expectations or react exactly the way you want them to, then the allure of not being rejected gets shattered. And so then you get incredibly pissed. You know, and you react. Yes, because you it feels almost like you're further along in your affection now. Yeah. You've developed a lot more affection and they've consumed a lot more of your free time or your free mind space yeah. than they would have otherwise if it was someone you met on the street and they just rejected you a lot sooner. Yeah. So now the stakes are higher. Yeah. Because you're obsessed now. By the time you meet them, you've had a, a thousand conversations in your head with them. Yeah. You know, you think you know them, you think they know you. And so it's as if you're best friend told you to fuck off you know? <laughs> right right literally i mean it feels that way and it's they've never heard of you babe yeah they they didn't know you existed till today they don't know you queen sorry yeah i also read about these podcast co-hosts zara mcdonald and michelle andrews who have a podcast called shameless and it's a very popular australian podcast i've mm. never listened to it but i was reading this article about them and they published a book and in it Michelle Andrews discusses a sexual assault that she suffered when she was 18. And after they published the book, she received like an onslaught of stories from women who had experienced similar things. And reading other people's experiences was really triggering and re-traumatizing to her. So she asked Mm -hmm. fans to please not send them to her. And there were so many people that got really angry that... She didn't want to hear their stories, that she didn't care. and Because they feel like, well, I cared about your story. Why don't you care about mine? Exactly. And I bought your book, you know. I, I gave you money and now you don't even want to hear about my sexual assault. It's like this this difficult thing where you want people to feel seen and feel connected. But all they agreed to is to write it <laughs> and allow right. someone to purchase it. Right. The terms of the transaction were you fork over a certain amount of money and in return you get this book that I've toiled over and you get to read it and you get to engage with it and put it on your shelf. That's the transaction. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I know it's hard because like, trust me, (laughs) not to bring up Taylor Swift for the 12,000th time today, (laughs) but I know it's hard as someone who has had her as my top artist of the year on Spotify every single year. I was in the top 2% of her listeners. This year, I was in the top 1% of people who listened to Midnight's, and I've bought merch from her. And did I get a pre-sale code for the Ticketmaster pre-sale? No, I certainly did not. If you know, <laughs> you know. And it's hard to feel like, what the hell, dude? Like, I put in all this effort, and for what? And it's like, wait a second. I listened to her music because I liked it, not because mm-hmm. I deserve anything in return. Mm-hmm. Not to say that Ticketmaster is 
absolved of things they could have avoided. Mm-hmm. But the point being, the reason you bought their book is because you wanted to read the book. Mm-hmm. It can't be that you now demand they play therapist for you. Exactly. Yeah. All Taylor Swift agreed to do is make music, put it out, and allow you to consume it. All these podcast hosts did was publish a book. And honestly, that's also a a wild transaction. You give money to read their sexual Mm -hmm. assault story. I think they've done enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't think then they owe it. Because also you take it as a personal attack. She's fielding this coming from hundreds, if not thousands of people, maybe. Yeah. So it's not a rejection of you. It's you're the 99th person today to send her something that she does not want to read. And that's totally fine. She doesn't know you. I mean, I think you could send somebody something like, thank you so much for sharing. I really resonated with this. It helped me. It made me feel seen about certain things I've experienced, period. And also they have no obligation to answer that. But if you wanted to give them some sort of praise or if you wanted to say, like, I think you spoke about this in a problematic manner or something like that. But like sending your story and then being upset that they don't want to take the time to try to fix it for you or help you through that. Mm -hmm. They don't know you i'm sorry like it's just i don't know and and like you said the the entitlement people feel like once you're a public figure to like your time and your energy Mm -hmm. and did you ever watch one tree hill i have actually never seen it well that's a total crime but whatever no i know but (laughs) there's like chad michael murray in there right yes that's like i think all i know about it okay do you know who sophia bush is no okay well she played brooke in Wonder Hill, who's one of the main girls. And she has a podcast with the two other women that were leads of the show. And it's like a recap podcast where they watch the episode and talk about it and stuff. Oh, yeah. And I love Wonder Hill and I listen to the podcast. I'm, I'm mentioning so many other people's podcasts today. We're kind of just like big fans <laughs> of the podcast industry. Yeah. We're real hometown heroes over here. Could you imagine if we were like, we actually hate podcasts, but please listen to ours. Yeah, but please. <laughs> No, we both listen to so many podcasts. It's like, it's actually quite remarkable. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a little, a little much. Anyway, she's mentioned how uncomfortable and scary it can be when people get so excited to see you that they like run up to you and hug you because even though you feel like you know her, you're a complete stranger. Yep. And so she's spoken multiple times about how she really doesn't like it when fans touch her without asking first. Like if you say, hey, can I have a hug? And she's willing to give you a hug, but most fans will just run up and touch her or like touch her hair and they feel like that's totally fine because they're friends. It's Brooke Davis. It's Sophia Bush. Like, right. Whereas if that were an, if that were a normal stranger, you would never dare run up to a stranger in that same way, or you would at least be way less likely to, or most people would be at least less likely to run up and touch a stranger's hair and grab their arm and hug them. Mm -hmm. But it's in this way, only really a true stranger for one of the people in this interaction. Yeah. And and just like we were talking about how our minds and our bodies kind of interpret these relationships the same as or very similar to our actual reciprocal relationships for Sophia Bush being run up to by a stranger and having them put their hands on you you're also going to interpret that as danger of course so it doesn't matter if you're a fan doesn't matter if you have the best of intentions Mm -hmm. ask for consent before you touch anyone yeah and the fact that she is your favorite tv show character does not mean that you get to skip that step right right (laughs) 
And like similarly, I, speaking of recap podcasts, remember hearing on Office Ladies about how Rashida Jones, who played Karen in The Office, which was briefly, spoiler alert if you haven't watched The Office yet, briefly a love interest of John Krasinski's character is Jim. And people on like the early aughts message boards hated Rashida Jones because of this, because she was driving a wedge between Jim and Pam, Jam. Mm -hmm. And so people in real life were absolutely nasty to her. Mm -hmm. And they would come up to her and different from like running up and hugging and like stroking your hair, they would come up and just like be really, really rude. And that's Mm -hmm. also really, really jarring and scary. Whether the reaction from these strangers who have seen you on a show is positive or negative, it's scary to have fans run up to you and like out of nowhere invade your personal space when you have no idea who they are. And and for all intents and purposes, like you can't be confident they are a fan yeah. or they're an adoring fan. They might be one of the fans that hates you. Like you 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 don't actually know when they're running at you full force whether or not they love you, whether or not they love your work. Yeah. And also you can have quote unquote adoring fans that harm you. Oh yeah. The the like physical manifestation of the now I'm mad at you for not loving me the way I wanted you to love me or whatever. It can get really scary. So even if it's someone who loves your work can really do some damage. Put you in Um, danger. Yeah. And Sophia Bush also talks about what you were just saying about Rashida Jones of people treating her like her character is who she is. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the character that she played on One Tree Hill is head cheerleader very popular very like sexually open very flirty hooks up with like every character on the show and she personally didn't feel like that's who she was like she was like 21 or 20 when the show started Mm -hmm. and she was a much more like reserved person and in one of the episodes of the podcast she talks about a time that she was at a bar while they were filming the show and a group of guys came up to her and put their hands up her shorts and oh she God. was like, what the fuck? And they're like, oh, you're Brooke Davis. Like, you're going to tell me that you are you don't want to hook up with random guys at a bar, whatever. Oh, my God. And it's like, first of all, even if she wanted to hook up with random people at a bar, you don't touch people without <sighs> asking first. Like, what the fuck? But the fact that they were like, felt like they already knew her and that she was going to react the way maybe the Brooke Davis on TV would react, which also, first of all, is a character. Second of all, the character was written by a super fucked up individual man who harassed a lot of the women on that show. Oof. So even if on an episode of the show, some guy goes up to her at a bar and puts his hand up the, her shorts and she turns around and is like, hey, that's not a real situation. And you should also be like, that man should never have touched you without asking. Right. Yeah. And that also opens like another can of worms for another day about hetero men because of some of the media we grew up with not fully understanding the female gaze so much of male behavior in tv shows is still the male gaze because it's men writing directing producing and funding all of it yeah and you actually don't even know that that's what straight women want to see you don't even know that that's what straight women find attractive so beyond it already never being okay to run up to anyone celebrity or not playing mm-hmm. a character or not and touching them without their consent and also whether or not this character that Sophia Bush plays is written by a fucked up individual like however you think that character would respond to being touched randomly in a bar yeah that's probably a refraction of the male gaze anyway like mm-hmm. you don't even know that that's what women want yes and the stakes are 
so much higher for someone like Sophia Bush. Yeah. Because she was saying how it was really difficult for her to defend herself because she had so much fear around being labeled as like an ungrateful celebrity and having a news article come out about her being an asshole who didn't want to hug a fan. And I think there's this sense of you would be nothing without us with fans. And while that's true to an extent of like, obviously you wouldn't be famous if people didn't watch your work or listen to your music or read your books or whatever. Like we were saying earlier, like the transaction is she made a TV show. And you got to watch it. And you watched it. It doesn't mean she has to hug you. And just because you like someone's music or their tv show or whatever like we said earlier that is no indication that they're an amazing person you know right. <laughs> like, like lots of actors and musicians are, are shitty people yeah who make good art you know yeah and and that's it all we all we agree to engage with is the art right this is so interesting though because i think something that you and i have talked about just as like friends and people who care about power dynamics and relationships we often think of someone who is a celebrity or is famous or is really rich as inherently having the upper hand. If they, let's say John Mayer <laughs> meets a fan at a bar mm-hmm. and wants to chat with them, flirt with them, buy them a drink, take them home, who knows? Mm-hmm. Inherently, without knowing any other details, I would say, oh, John Mayer has more power in that situation. Yes. As a famous person, with more clout, more influence, more money, I would think of him as having more power. But what's so interesting about this situation you're bringing up is it almost feels flipped in a way, or it could be flipped for Mm -hmm. Sophia Bush, where the stakes are so high insofar as she doesn't want to tarnish the name of the show. And maybe there is pressure from producers and managers. Doesn't want to lose her job. You could lose your job if you give us a bad rap. And in that way, maybe she feels like she actually has to put up with this behavior from fans. So I'm so glad you brought this up because it's not really, when I think about power dynamics between celebrities and fans, this is not a dynamic I've yet really thought about or talked through. Yeah, that's that's a great point because I also would say, oh, the celebrity has more power. But I think it it is more complicated because they have power in different ways. Yeah. And if a fan had no power, we wouldn't have NDAs every time someone mm-hmm. sleeps with an athlete, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> they might have power over you of coercing you or you being more susceptible to like if they're flirting with you at a bar or something being more like, well, I have to do it because it's so and so and like, right, this is wild. But you also have power over them when it comes to their reputation. Right. So it, you, you have power in different ways. Like, we know that Leonardo DiCaprio has a bunch of sex with a bunch of models, but we don't know who all the models are because you walk through the door and you sign an NDA, you know? like Right. And also, you just probably as a fan have more power over a celebrity the closer they are to the margin. Yes. So, for example, Sophia Bush being like a young woman, and I don't know if this was her first true blue acting gig. Yeah, it was. But she might think like, oh, my God, I can't. Do something that would make me unhirable next time. And I need to... I don't want to be labeled as a difficult person. Right. I don't want to be a diva. And the more and more, or the closer and closer you get to the margin, it does feel like there's more and more at stake because there is more and more societal bias that you're going to need to fend off Mm -hmm. or more and more good grace you think you need to accrue to guarantee your next role because historically it hasn't been so easy for people like you yeah so it's it's really wow so much more complicated than I've ever like 
really maybe thought about. Yeah, it, it is funny to think of someone being famous and feeling powerless mm-hmm. and having, like you said, the closer to the margin, less and less social capital to spend and the less we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, plenty of men who we hear stories of them acting like total assholes on a set of a movie and keep getting hired, keep getting hired. Yeah. And women or people of color have like one bad day and it's like never working with that person jeez you know so as our our last thing of our our little pyramid uh we're going to talk about the the small group of really dangerous and aggressive people Mm -hmm. the fans that most likely also have some sort of mental health thing going on that can get violent or incredibly invasive so on the invasive side, do you know anything about the bling ring? No. You've never heard of the bling ring? No. What? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go down a rabbit hole with this. It's so wild. I'm me. so nervous already. <laughs> so the bling ring was a group of teenagers between like fall of 2008 and summer of 2009 that lived in Calabasas in California in LA and were obsessed with celebrities And broke into their homes and stole clothes, jewelry, meds, like art, literally whatever they could. And they stole from Paris Hilton, from Lindsay Lohan, from Orlando Bloom, Rachel Bilson, lots of people. And so they would basically like find out their address and then kind of like stalk them on social media or paparazzi. And when they knew they were out of town for an event or something, they would go to their house and break in oh my and steal their stuff. Oh, my God. Which is why you should never tell people when you're out of town. Oh, <laughs> Post yeah. your vacation photos once you get home. <laughs> yeah. What also was so wild to me about this story is like how easily they were able to get into people's homes. I was going to ask. Like- and, and I don't mean this as like a victim blamey thing at all. I'm just like shocked that Paris Hilton didn't have security and kept a key under her doormat. They literally right. found her key right. hidden outside of her door. And one of the girls took her spare key and just like put it on her keychain and was like, this is my key now. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, I'm shocked that these people didn't have security. I hope everyone has security now. But yeah, they, they ended up stealing $3 million worth of things from these people's homes. Uh, uh, wait, so, okay. So, <laughs> okay. Did they call themselves the bling ring? Did they like make themselves these like public? No. So this was like, how do we figure this out? They finally got caught on the security camera at Lindsay Lohan's house. Oh, Lindsay. The the person they stole the most from was Paris Hilton. She had like so much stuff at her house that it took like six times before she started to realize that things were going missing. (gasps) Yeah. And they would like go in and like party at her house. And it was these kids that were so obsessed with celebrity culture and they wanted to dress like the their favorite celebrities and like have the glam and like be able to spend money the way they did that they literally robbed them and i think the bling ring was something that was named after they got caught i see but they did i think get a little sloppy towards the end and start kind of bragging at school of like oh yeah we went to paris hilton's house and i think got too comfortable yeah yeah it's like you're always trying to push the envelope or basically see how far to the line you can get before you're caught like at some point that dopamine hit that rush 
you're not going to feel it in the same way if you're just doing the same thing every time. So now you need to like steal more, do more, tell more, share more. Yeah. And I mean, if you've been doing this for months and you haven't gotten caught and you have this system of we check that they're out of town, we check that the door is open and then we break in. Done. Done. What, what's, what's the worst that could happen? That is so wild. I mean, talk about entitlement, not just to like their... Not just to the information about their lives, but like to literally their stuff. Their home. I know. And Rachel Bilson talked about how they stole a lot of stuff that was like personally important. Things that she had an emotional connection to or like family heirlooms and stuff like that. Like things that she's never going to be able to get back. And when they got caught, the supposed ring leader, Rachel Lee, who was really, really celebrity obsessed and especially with Lindsay Lohan, when they got caught and the police were interrogating her, And they said, you know, we've spoken to all of the victims. And reportedly, the first thing she said was, what did Lindsay say? Oh, oh, no. Like, not like, can I get a lawyer? (laughs) Like, what did Lindsay say? Oh, my God. Because that's like, I mean, wow, does that show how one sided the relationship is? Like, all this person wants is like, oh, my God, she knows I exist now. What did she say about me? What did she say about me? Yeah. Yeah. Now that I have her shit and was in her house. Oh, Um, I'm not trying to like feel bad for her, but like that is a little bit, I I don't know. I'm feeling some sort of unnameable feel like, whew. I know. I feel conflicted about them too because I'm like, they were kids and what they did is nowhere near okay. But I think they got really cocky and caught up in a moment. Mm -hmm. And I haven't listened to it, but- Another podcast, <laughs> Rachel Bilson has a podcast and she apparently had two of them on to talk about it, which I really want to listen to. Not, I don't think Rachel Lee was one of them. I'm pretty sure it's other people who feel like so much remorse and it still like haunts them. And I was hearing her talk about it and she was like, I'm obviously not okay with what they did. It was really fucked up, but I've totally moved on. This was years ago. And I don't think that they should be holding the amount of pain that they feel for what they did. So she like had them on to like talk about it, which I think is incredible that she, wow, very restorative justice of her. Um, Yeah. But yeah, you can hold both, you know, you can have empathy for what they may have been experiencing and got caught up in and you know their teenage brain and the validation that they got for dressing like celebrities and whatever and like when you get caught you're like holy shit why the fuck did I do that yeah that's when the gravity sinks in Yeah. yeah and you can also be like you stole from people and just because they're rich and they can replace it it doesn't mean it's okay to take it right and also I mean obviously being able to have compassion for someone in the bling ring who did what they did is possible while still at the same time being traumatized or being scared of repeat incidents from other people. And I think that maybe it seems like a sort of unrelatable paranoia for celebrities to be worried about adoring fans stalking them. Mm -hmm. But then when it really does happen, I don't know. That's really scary. Yeah. And that's you're breaking into someone's house. That's super fucked up. And then there's people who actually kill celebrities and you know like famously john lennon signed an autograph for a fan and then was shot four times in front of his building yeah and i never listened to her music but do you know who christina grimmie was no she was a like an up-and-coming singer i think she was on the voice and and speaking of the Billie eilish era of being really famous to a certain group of people 
she was doing a meet and greet at like a club or something and a fan came up to her and she like opened her arms to give the fan a hug and then he shot and killed her are you fucking kidding me and her brother was behind that they were like at a merch table the two of them selling her merch and stuff and this was like an obsessive fan and so the brother like jumps over the table to try to catch him and he like escapes from him and then kills himself and murder suicides in general i'm like it's like, such a tragic unnecessary loss of life ugh, and just the idea of this girl being like i'm gonna open my arms and hug this person and as you open your arms they just shoot you oh i literally cannot believe that story it's so sad and then i think the one of the most wild stories i've ever heard wilder than that yes is miranda cosgrove do you know what happened with her stalker actually i do but i i know it's i know she told this story in the same interview as the one where she talked about her favorite curse word probably being fuck yes and for some reason we all ran away with that and none of us are talking about what you're about to remind us of so basically she had a stalker who waited in her backyard for like seven hours for her to come home just like pacing and she ended up not coming home that night because she went on like a bad date and wanted to just go to her mom's house or something like that yeah thankfully she didn't go home and a car drove by and the guy thought it was her and the girl driving the car looked vaguely similar so he just started shooting at her and thankfully missed and then I guess in general, the plan was to kill her and then kill himself. I don't know if he just got nervous after the gunshots that people were going to call the police. So he shot himself and then lit himself on fire <sighs> and died in front of her house. Like, I, I would never be able to what? sit there again. No, that's that is so traumatizing. And to know that, like, you missed that by this much. Right. He was waiting to see in something. your yard. Waiting in your yard to see a car that even vaguely resembled yours and just was ready to start shooting. And I'm so glad he missed because that poor girl is like, I'm not her. What's going on here? Who is this I person? I know no one. None of them signed up for this. Y'all like, what? Yeah. But you're famous. So so on that oh delightful note, uh, that's <laughs> uh, so that's. That's the wild end of the spectrum of things that are really, really scary and horrifying. Yeah. And I think when I started looking into this, I did kind of, even though I have many parasocial relationships, I did think of it as kind of a negative thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm happy to see that psychologically it's very healthy and not bad for you and that it's really when the kind of end of the pyramid stuff mm -hmm. starts to happen that it becomes a negative thing right so i don't want anyone to feel bad about loving taylor swift mm -hmm. but like if you find yourself over obsessing about someone and spending a lot of time following them or wanting to know things about them and that impacts how you feel then maybe check in about what kind of expectations you have yeah on them or like how much mind space they're taking up yeah like i remember my friend was a huge fan of Grey's anatomy and she said that she realized she needed to stop binging it as often as she was when she was not okay after some characters broke up she was like that's when i realized yeah i needed a break it was too big a part of my life mm -hmm. and i wasn't letting enough real life Yes. Occupy my mind and my time and yes. my excitement that I needed to like recalibrate the fractions mm -hmm. or the ratio mm -hmm. that I was letting this show take up. Yeah. Because obviously you're going to be sad when your favorite character dies. Yeah. And that's the point. Like the, the, the show wants you to feel sad. Yeah. And 
while it's totally normal for you to like have an initial pang of like, oh, that sucks. Especially when they do something like problematic and you're like, well, fuck this. I really yeah. liked this person. But being able to just be like, oh, fuck. And moving through that rather than, you know what? Time to light myself on fire. Like, <laughs> right, right. Like, I am not okay anymore. It feels like the danger isn't inherent to parasocial relationships. Yeah. Or that this is a manifestation of other underlying concerns. I don't know. I guess where where does where does the problem lie? Yeah, that's a good question. I think because as you were saying that, I was thinking, like we said at the top of the episode of how parasocial relationships are very similar to reciprocal ones. Mm-hmm. You can project onto your friends, onto your partner, mm-hmm. onto your parents. And the same way that celebrities curate how they show up online, we also curate consciously or unconsciously how we present to people in our lives. Mm -hmm. And we could be very disappointed and upset by a projection of a friend changing. Mm -hmm. So the same way that like if your long term partner cheated on you. And you were crushed. That's like a patterned expected reaction. Yeah. But if it got to the point that you couldn't move on, your friends would start to talk to you and be like, we got to move through this. Like, you know, you would you would have people in your life that would be trying to pep you up or try to help you move through a situation. So I, th- I just think it's maybe easier in a parasocial relationship to be very quickly affected. Mm hmm. Because so much of it is in your own head and your own projection. Right. So I don't I don't think there's a, a specific line that once you've crossed it, everything goes downhill. But I think just keeping in mind like you would with any relationship, how everyone's a, just a human mm-hmm. and we all hopefully change and grow and we all make mistakes and we all do things we regret and we also do wonderful things. And your opinion of someone, to quote Billie Eilish, is not their responsibility yeah 100 percent. and you're not entitled you are not entitled to someone acting the way you wish they would yeah and at the end of the day we all are self-centered insofar as we are the center of our universe everything that we aren't experiencing needs to be communicated to us whether right we see it or someone tells us or, or we feel it or whatever it is it all goes through our like we were saying with the gays and stuff. It all goes through our different filters. Literally, I thought you were just saying like gay people plural. <laughs> You're like with the gays. I was like, no. what are we doing with the gays? <laughs> you know the gays. Yeah. Like we always say about the gays. I was like, what? <laughs> I see. That would be males, a wild like, turn. The gays, G-A-Z-E. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of our filters and biases and whatever else. It all goes through that and then interpreted and metabolized. And we know that everybody else is doing that too. So I just think that when it comes to celebrities, I think it's a much... There aren't the same repercussions for us because it's one-sided. Yeah. We tend to be more aggressive and meaner. While if you didn't like something your friend did and you started commenting on their Instagram, heinous things. (laughs) Oh my God. And I love the stories of when celebrities comment back at someone. And then the person's like, oh, my God, I didn't think you would see this. Like, I actually love you. And they're like, well, what the fuck? Literally. What? Yeah. What the hell? You should treat it as they might see it because it's public. Right. So I don't know. I think I'm talking in circles now, but it was a very interesting ride to For sure. think about this and 
I have caught myself like having higher expectations for people who are public figures in every aspect of their life. And I don't know where I stand exactly on what responsibility public figures have to certain things, because just because someone's good at music doesn't mean they're an expert on like gender and racial issues. Right. You know, (laughs) and like fundamentally, I don't think democracy functions when people with more money have outsized influence like exactly we don't need taylor swift even if she agrees with my opinion and she could ultimately facilitate things i want to happen politically to happen even if she could facilitate that ultimately i don't believe that people with more money should have more power and so i don't want her to be able to sway all the voter bases so i agree i think the organizers and the experts like need to be ultimately doing what they do best and and musicians can and should certainly have opinions and be involved to the extent that it affects them in their own lives but they don't need to be like swaying the millions exactly yeah taylor swift should not have more power in our democracy than we do and unfortunately that's the kind of system that we do exist in and it's great when someone with a lot of power agrees with you but it means that it's just as likely that they could not agree with you it's like when we talk about billionaires and it's like okay but look at all the great things that bill gates has done that is wonderful and i'm glad that he's trying to cure polio but (laughs) i don't want to put my hopes on the possible altruism of a billionaire so i don't I also don't want an influencer hawking products on Instagram to like stand for something that they don't have like any information on and possibly like miseducate people and stuff like that. All of this was to say that in researching this topic, I was thinking about like how many times I've expected more from a celebrity or been disappointed by something or spoken about them as if I knew them. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that Ultimately, parasocial relationships are possible in the digital age and otherwise. It's something that can happen with a person you see and interact with in real life or through a screen. And they're a sign of typical social functioning and it's Mm -hmm. fine and you should not beat yourself up for engaging in them at all. Mm -hmm. And we can also remind ourselves through concerted effort and practice to let these be forces for good in our lives, to to the extent that they start to consume too much of our mind space. Yeah. There are things that we can change. And also that we don't know these people. So I'm never going to meet Taylor Swift and we're never going to be best friends. And I'm never going to get her get to hold her accountable for anything she might have disappointed me over or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I can talk about her with you and we can align on our values mm-hmm. and what we think we owe to each other. And we can talk mm-hmm. about it, it is fun to be a fan. And I think that none of us should deny ourselves that. It is such a joy to be a fan of something and to get to share that with other similar fans. Yes. And it's healthy and it's great. And when you notice you're trying to resolve a lot of cognitive dissonance by explaining away some shitty things, or you notice you're yeah. feeling too sad after characters in a show break up, or you're suddenly enraged at someone that you feel entitled to having acted differently, mm-hmm. that's when we can just continue to check in with ourselves and yes, give ourselves grace and not be ashamed about it, but recalibrate where we need to. Yeah. Just protect your peace. I feel like, and also just as fun as it is to be a fan, it's also really fun to talk shit, but talk shit with your friends. Don't talk shit at people you don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Peace. Yeah. And like you said, protect your peace and protect your fellow humans. Don't touch people without asking. And (laughs) go take a walk outside if that Grey's Anatomy breakup really got you down.
Culture Colander is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn. 